Welcome to MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue. MTSU alumna Rebecca Brummett is the curator of community engagement at South Union Shaker Village in Auburn, Kentucky. While continuing to pursue her master's degree, she is racking up awards for two of her projects. The Southeastern Museums Conference and the Kentucky Historical Society have given her awards for her exhibit on people of color at South Union, and KHS also bestowed an award on her for a publication about African-American blacksmith Justinian Cartwright. We'll talk to her about making sure the other is not excluded from our nation's history after this. Here are some of the headlines making news at mtsunews.com, the university's news and information website. Two members of the MTSU community are reaching out to an underserved population to help its members stay safe during the COVID-19 pandemic. Sabitra Basnet, who graduated with a nursing degree in 2019, and rising sophomore and nursing major Jashna Timsina are co-coordinators of the BRAVE Nashville Project. BRAVE stands for Bhutanese Response Assistance Volunteer Effort. The all-volunteer effort is designed to help families from the South Asian nations of Bhutan and Nepal who are affected by the coronavirus, either directly or indirectly. Under this model, different volunteers serve as family liaisons, information gatherers, resource collectors, and resource deliverers. Volunteers help families with food, cleaning supplies, COVID-19 information, financial issues, mental health issues, or help them make the appropriate connections. In addition, nurses, medical assistants, and medical residents are providing health screenings and helping with hospital admissions as needed. Two Nepali-speaking doctors are volunteering their services, which can be administered in both English and Nepali. And a new online training program for Tennessee's pre-kindergarten, preschool, and Head Start teachers, co-hosted by MTSU, is focusing on gentle guidance for little ones to develop social skills for school, to make friends, and to learn about their emotions. Demand for the new online Pyramid Model for Social and Emotional Skills program was so enthusiastic statewide, that is 180 applicants in some five hours, that organizers had to make more online space available, then create a summer session and a waiting list for it too. When a youngster misbehaves by, for example, hitting, yelling, or refusing to follow directions, the training gives teachers tools to identify possible reasons for the conduct and help the child change it. For MTSU News at any time, go to mtsunews.com. And now via Zoom from Kentucky is Rebecca Brummett. Rebecca, thank you for joining us. Glad to be with you. Thanks for having me. First, please tell us about your employer, South Union Shaker Village. What are its origins and why is it an important part of Kentucky history? Great question. Well, uh, South Union Shaker Village is a historic site of museum and it was a site of a shaker community uh, that was begun in 1807 and uh, existed until 1922. So um, our mission at South Union Shaker Village is two-part. It is um, first of all educational. We talk um, not only about shaker history but more broadly about uh, the region and Kentucky uh, during the 19th century. And then our, the second component of our mission is preservation. So we currently have a number of historic 
buildings that um, we work to preserve and keep in good condition, as well as uh, almost 500 acres of the original Shaker farm. And how were the Shakers treated by other people of various faiths in the surrounding area? Well, you know, at first the Shakers were treated with uh, quite a bit of suspicion and did suffer violence at the hands of community members. Oddly enough, what's interesting is what seemed to really turn the tide as far as local opinion about the Shakers was uh, their amazing products that they brought to market. So Shakers at South Union um, created what they called seed slips, which were nothing but packaged seeds. So uh, the Shakers at large really are responsible for initiating the packaged seed industry uh, here in the United States. So certainly South Union's Shakers were involved in packaged seeds. Uh, they also created uh, preserves, jarred preserves, um, that they sold to the community brooms. Uh, what I like to tell the children who come on our education tours, uh, the Shakers knitted socks and underwear um, and sold that uh, to the community as well. So the Shakers at South Union actually um, sold their products from Kentucky, the southern part of Kentucky, all the way down. They would take what they called annual seed trips all the way down the river to New Orleans every year. They were a very industrious, hardworking people, weren't they? They very much were. Um, part of their uh, religious expression was to create uh, and work um, to perfection. And, and that's why you see such quality um, even in their products today. But to tie back to um, your question on um, how the Shakers were treated with their uh, by their neighbors. So their uh, it was actually their their products that um, really kind of turned the tide um, with with community members. Community members started to deal with them in business and started to purchase from them and realized, oh, these these folks are are fair, honest dealing people, um, and that really helped to bridge the gap with the local community. Uh, how did the Shakers feel about slavery and was the way they treated African-Americans consistent with their religious beliefs? Well, certainly um, slavery at South Union is a very nuanced story. Um, of course, very early on, the Shakers came into the area of Kentucky very early in Kentucky statehood in 1807. And the missionaries that came from the Northeast realized that they were uh, encountering a culture that was different um, from what they had grown up seeing in the villages in the Northeast. So for those early Shaker missionaries who became um, the leaders in these villages, that the two villages that were established in Kentucky, um, for them it was a real work of uh, changing hearts and minds in thinking about uh, slavery and the impact on human beings as a result of that. How did the Shakers treat uh, the slaves? For the Shakers in 1807, several of their members were uh, slave owners and were bringing enslaved people who were their possessions uh, at the time with them um, into the village. And uh, these Shaker missionaries worked on the hearts and minds so that within a decade, um, membership, um, ownership of slaves 
within the village was something that was coming to an end. Now, when I say that the story is much more nuanced, um, the other piece that we have to acknowledge to that story is that while um, slavery ownership within the village was was abolished very, very early um, in 1816, um, and then, in fact, uh, slave owners were no longer even allowed to become members of the society by 1830, which, again, is 30 years before the Civil War. Uh, the fact remains that throughout this, th throughout the 19th century, until slavery is abolished, the Shakers are hiring enslaved workers from their neighbors. So that practice, although it's hotly debated and for a time it ends uh, within the community, uh, that they within six months, they pick that back up and it again, they continue that until slavery is abolished. We'll take a break right here. We'll return in just a moment. This is MTSU on the record. The Intercultural and Diversity Affairs Center helps to promote awareness and understanding of the wide variety of cultures represented at MTSU. The center provides information, referrals, and resources. Additionally, IDAC tries to make students from different cultures feel welcome and comfortable on campus so they can have every opportunity to fulfill their academic, social, and personal potential. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Expanding Your Horizons is an annual hands-on science and math conference for middle and high school girls. EYH enables girls to investigate careers in science and math and to talk with female leaders in those fields that are so essential to our nation's future. EYH also provides the girls with fun, hands-on activities and allows them to meet girls with similar interests. I'm Dr. Judith Iriarte-Gross, EYH Director. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. We're talking via Zoom with Rebecca Brummett. She's an MTSU alumna who is also the Curator of Community Engagement at South Union Shaker Village in Auburn, Kentucky. Uh, the exhibit, which won the Bronze Award in exhibitions under $10,000 from the Southeastern Museums Conference and the Excellence in Exhibitions Award from the Kentucky Historical Society, both of which you won, is titled Dictates of Conscience and Feelings of Humanity, People of Color at South Union from 1807 to 1860. Uh, we've spoken about slavery for just a moment, but tell us about that exhibit in particular and the information it conveys. Well, the, the exhibit is, is groundbreaking in that um, what we are, what we, what the evidence revealed and what um, we asked audience to consider is the notion that enslaved people recognized and acted upon opportunities to influence the trajectory of their lives. And that is certainly um, evidenced in, in the manuscript collection and records uh, at South Union and, and in various repositories where the, the holdings of South Union now remain. Um, so the exhibit actually, it ex the, the narrative explores the tension and resolve uh, surrounding the issues of slavery and race among the Shakers and people of color living and working at South Union during the first half of the 19th century. It's been very impactful and, um, uh, and has received um, a warm reception. Um, and, and, and we're just pleased to have the opportunity uh, to bring this uh, factual historic record to life. How were the Shakers, would you say, at documenting their own history? Did they keep meticulous records? 
the Shakers most certainly kept meticulous records and it is, um, they kept uh, daily journals and multiple journals throughout the village. Uh, different industries would keep journals. Uh, so we have lots and lots, of, we still haven't uh, been able to go through all of the documentation that has been left. And, and sadly, one, one piece uh, that has yet to, has to uh, resurface, and, and I hope it is still out there, is the Declaration of Freedom that uh, the Shakers authored uh, in the summer of 1816, uh, which freed the members um, who were enslaved at the village. We would love to, to see that document and to, and to read the language in that document. And this was long before Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation, as you've noted, before the, even the onset of the Civil War. It was, it was. And an interesting part of the story here is in 1816, the Shaker Brethren got together and concluded that they were going to no longer tolerate members uh, who owned slaves. And so freeing those, those people that were there at the village uh, happened in 1816. What started to happen um, that, uh, that the Shakers, uh, we surmised, never even realized was that once that happened, the members that they had of color uh, began to assert their will and began to leave the village. And from, uh, from the documentation, um, it appears that the Shakers, it never dawned on them that these members of color would would choose to leave the village. And so the problem that that created was that while this document was agreed upon within the village bounds, within, within the village itself, once uh, someone stepped outside the village, uh, this was not a legal document. So despite the risks, these folks were willing um, to step out and, and to try life on their own terms. There was a process of shakers uh, trying to bring these people who had left the village back into the village fold and trying to convince them to stay, uh, which was not to be had. So the, the choice that the Shakers made based on the will and the desires of these formerly enslaved people was to then go to the county court in Logan County and officially register um, free papers for these individuals. If I may, I would love to, to read a quote that uh, talks about this, this decision. The journal reads, quote, um, Wednesday, March the 3rd, 1819, meeting important, assembled all slaveholders together, gave counsel for all and each of them who had faith to do so, to set their slaves free in an effectual manner and lawful way, to do it on parchment, signed by themselves and counter in his office. So it's, it's just remarkable that rather than try to force these, these uh, African-American members to stay and, and remain as Shakers, because of their, their actions, the Shakers conclude, we, we have to do more. These folks are not going to stay, and we need to come to terms with that. So let's make sure that when they leave this village uh, and, and are no longer affiliated with us, that they are free. The whole intent of their communities in establishing their communities was to separate themselves from the world and to reduce any kind of contact and influence that people of, you know, what the Shakers called, quote, the world, um, would have upon their village and their way of life. So um, certainly as time went on, that was harder and harder to do, especially when you situate your village on a main road between Bowling Green and Russellville. But for the Shakers to make the act to free these people officially is certainly something to be noted. 
since they were a close-knit community, what was their self-governance like? When you think about utopian societies, uh, communal societies, um, you don't really think about the a lot of rules and regulations, but that's certainly how how it was, and it was certainly uh, had a hierarchy. Shakers lived communally, and so each uh, communal family uh, made up of men in, at South Union made up of men and women, boys and girls, black and white, as early as 1820. So you've got your communal family, and then there is an elder and an eldress. So for each male lead in a Shaker village, there is a female counterpart, uh, which for the 19th century was truly revolutionary, uh, but the Shakers were founded by a woman. So, um, so you have your, your elder and your eldress, and then um, for each family, and then an overarching elder and eldress um, made up of what they called the ministry, which they didn't necessarily lead an individual communal family, uh, but they were over the, the village at large. We'll take another break here, and we'll be right back. This is MTSU on the record. The mission of the June Anderson Center for Women and Non-Traditional Students is to provide education, advocacy, direct services, outreach, and programming for the MTSU campus and surrounding community on gender-related issues. The center also assists older students who are trying to balance work, college, and family. It also sponsors a monthly legal clinic, career brown bag series, book club, and a newsletter twice a year. For all of the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. MTSU's Jewish and Holocaust Studies minor offers undergraduate students a chance to study the culture and religion of the Jewish people and the Holocaust in an interdisciplinary program. Studies include history and culture, theology and philosophy, and the arts and social sciences. Courses tackle vital topics central to local and global awareness, including multiculturalism and the meanings of diversity, religious tolerance, and genocide. For the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. We're talking with MTSU alumna Rebecca Brummett, who is continuing uh, her education in uh, pursuit of a master's degree. Well, when do you expect to uh, get the master's, complete that, and uh, graduate with that degree? Well, I only have one more component. Um, I've completed all of the components uh, of the program, and I have uh, to finish my thesis. Uh, so hopefully we'll have that completed either the fall of this year or the spring of next year. And in the meantime, Rebecca is the Curator of Community Engagement at South Union Shaker Village in Auburn, Kentucky. I didn't get to read your publication, but uh, I did see the abstract. The Kentucky Historical Society gave you its Excellence in Publication Award for Blacksmith by Trade, The Journey of African-American Shaker Justinian Cartwright. It was published in 2019 by the American Communal Society's Quarterly. So who was Justinian Cartwright and why did you find him interesting? Justinian Cartwright is an amazing individual. Um, he started out at South Union as a boy. His owner, Dr. William Johns, joined the Shakers along with his family. Uh, Justinian was one of the enslaved people owned by Dr. Johns. At, at, and again, at that time, he was he was just a boy. He was about seven years old um, when he came to South Union. Um, he's a person of mixed racial, racial heritage. So he really spent his formative years at South Union. And in 1813, 
something very fortuitous happened to him. He uh, was taken from what the Shakers called the school order, which was comprised of children who were school aged. Um, and he was taken from that school order to learn the blacksmithing trade, and which he did. So the, the, the article just follows his life um, and his choices and he's just an exceptional individual. He took what the Shakers taught him and applied that knowledge to become a successful business owner and caring and loving father. And all of this took place well before the Civil War and Emancipation. As a young man, Justinian met a woman named Lucinda Smith, who was uh, was a Shaker sister. Um, she was white. And the two of them started a relationship. She became pregnant in the 1820s. She was discovered. Uh, she could only hide um, her growing belly for so long. Um, uh, Justinian was given the opportunity to make a public confession, which was not an, an unusual practice for the Shakers. So he did make a public confession of his wrongs, and the two of them were allowed to stay at South Union. Justinian was removed from um, his uh, communal family. Justinian at that time was living in the center family, and the center family dwelling uh, still stands at, at South Union today. Uh, the center family was comprised of people who were the most committed to Shaker principles. So um, he was removed from the center family to live amongst new members in the East family, and Lucinda stayed at the North family uh, and gave birth to their son. After giving birth to their son, they they stayed another five years um, Justinian, he left and, and Lucinda left at a time. So they both left and came back um, from reading the text. Justinian really struggled. He, he struggled with the idea of no longer having a connection to South Union. By this time, he was in his mid-20s. He had lived his entire life as a Shaker. Certainly, he had the rare opportunity to, to have interaction with the outside world uh, due to his many job rotations, with, which was a common practice at South Union. But eventually they made their final break with South Union, 1835-1836, and they left as a family. They left together and they left with their son. How did he manage to become a, a successful blacksmith in an era of extreme racial prejudice? I argue that Justinian is a keen observer of how the Shakers establish and grow business relationships. We spoke of the seed trips earlier. Certainly, Justinian did travel and did partake in some of those seed trips. So he witnessed firsthand how to conduct business and he, you know, retained that knowledge and training and applied that knowledge and training and became a, a, a success himself. Have you had contact with uh, any of their descendants in the course of your research? I have not. Um, and I have intentionally not reached out. You know, as a historian, I'm, I'm looking at the past and I'm looking at uh, these individuals who have gone before us. So I, I would welcome a conversation, but I, I don't necessarily feel like it's my place uh, to initiate one. When you uh, look at your MTSU education, both past and present, what stands out to you as individuals or uh, particular classes that have informed your approach to history? Well, certainly this project, this exhibit project, which uh, then turned into a publication, was uh, was actually started um, as a part of the internship requirement that was overseen um, by Dr. Narcunas, certainly having her encouragement 
uh, throughout the project in its early stages and helping me to think about what might uh, be some of my own unknown worldviews that might conflict with uh, what we need to be thinking about in, with regard to interpretation. So trying to be fully aware of that and circumvent that and be honest in telling this story. Certainly uh, Dr. Hoshwelly and having her guidance uh, throughout my academic career has been um, very impactful in thinking about Southern society and how things have been uh, authored um, in Southern culture. Since the village, according to the website, is closed to tourism at this time due to the pandemic, how, uh, how are you faring and uh, what's, uh, what's going on? Is everything off the table for now or are there plans to reopen the village uh, at some point as states gradually try to open up safely? Certainly. Well, we are just starting to begin those conversations about how we open and how we ensure the safety of the public. Due to the nature of our site, we are not a typical historic house museum in that we have large buildings, multi-story buildings with lots of space. Um, as I mentioned, we had almost 500 acres of, of land. So um, we have large spaces that people can explore. We're not a, just a single dwelling. So so there's that. So we're, we're, we're thoughtful of, of the fact that we have large open spaces for people to enjoy. But also we have been really working to respond to our educational mission via digital platforms. Folks can visit our website, southunionshakervillage.com, to see our uh, videos um, and to listen to our uh, brand new podcast. And our podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify. Um, that podcast is entitled Compelling History of an American Other by South Union Shaker Village. So we're working to make sure that um, our message and our mission continues uh, and that we're there for uh, the people who have been there for us um, through this through our digital platforms. Rebecca I think you have found uh, fascinating work. Uh, I wish you well in both your professional and educational endeavors and I want to thank you so much for being our guest on MTSU on the record. Thank you so much it was a pleasure and it was a pleasure to be a student at MTSU. We'll be right back. The MTSU Department of Art has the newest facility for visual arts in the state with approximately 50,000 square feet of space, including high-tech computers and computer-driven equipment for multimedia, graphic design, printmaking, sculpture, painting, and ceramics. We feature a visiting artist lecture program and an exhibition program that exposes students to work by national and international artists. To find out more, visit mtsunews.com. The Concrete Industry Management Program at MTSU fills the need for trained personnel who know concrete technology and techniques. Our alumni go into the marketplace grounded in basic math and science and able to promote products or services related to the industry. Our participation in the academic common market ensures talented students in other states a chance to enroll on an in-state tuition basis. This is Dr. Heather Brown, director of the program. To find out more information on this or other university programs, visit mtsunews.com. Jimmy Hart has the middle moment. MTSU's Jones College of Business offers a Master of Science in Finance that is perfect for working professionals looking to gain an edge in the workforce. Here's 2015 graduate Kyle Motley, Chief Financial Officer for Breathe America Incorporated. Having speakers come in and really being able to learn what they do and have the exposure for different finance disciplines and understanding that 
you don't have to go be an equity research analyst. There's restructuring, there's uh, bond trading, there's all sorts of uh, careers within corporate finance, mergers and acquisitions. Uh, there's just a, a lot of other things that are out there and you really, you don't learn it until you get the exposure to it and bringing those guest speakers in and talking through it, really, really valuable. But then lastly to that, I think the case studies too, and really having case studies that are not just giant, you know, public companies, but working on privately held companies. And the program really has had a good focus on jobs that are going to be available for an MTSU graduate, not somebody that's coming out of Harvard or one of these other schools um, and putting them on Wall Street. I mean, you can still get there from MTSU, but I think, you know, middle market finance really has a, a need and MTSU is filling that. That's MTSU on the record. I'm Jenna Logue. Thanks for listening. MTSU on the record, a news and information program about Middle Tennessee State University is produced by the university's marketing and communications office, which is solely responsible for its content. Read more about MTSU at our website, mtsunews.com. Podcasts of this program are available at mtsunews.com and on iTunes.